Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view about the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is September 24th, 2014, and this is episode 13, 1400, I'm sorry, 1433 of the Survival Podcast. And uh, today we're going to talk about developing businesses specifically on the Internet. That's what I'm going to talk to you about today. Um, and I want to just right up front, for those of you like, I don't know if this is for me, I'm not really wanting to be, if you never want to be anything but an employee, I will be able to use how to develop a business today to teach you how to be an extremely marketable employee and to understand the business that you're working in better than you ever will uh, if, if you don't hear what I have to say today. And a lot of things that you're like, why do they? You'll understand by the end of today's show if you'll hang with me through it. Uh, this show is designed to help you be more self-sufficient and develop independence from the systems. There's Really not anything that we are more systemically dependent to in modern society than economics. And as long as somebody else is writing the check that eventually is used for you to write other checks to pay your bills, you never have complete and total independence on that front, which is, again, the, the most limiting front there is in this day and age. Before we get into that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today. Jeff the Berkey Guy Gleason. What are you going to get from the Berkey Guy? Berkey Water Filtration Systems, of course. What else would you get from the Berkey Guy? Actually, you can get a lot of really cool stuff from Jeff the Berkey Guy Gleason over at his website, Directive21.com, including if you want to stock up on those long-term storable foods, he's got the Survival Cave line of food, which is some pretty cool stuff over there, and a lot of other great stuff. But what he really excels at is being the Berkey Guy. There's only one. There can only be one Berkey guy, so get your Berkey and your Berkey equipment from the Berkey guy, not from some guy at a gun show. Check him out today. Again, Directive21.com is the website, and he has a great deal for members of the Support Brigade, some great discounts there that you can get from Jeff, the Berkey guy, Gleason. Uh, to get those, just log into your MSB account if you have one, and uh, you'll get the discount codes there. Next up today, someone will also give you a discount if you're an MSB member, J.M. Bullion, you know... Uh, today's show is about developing independence from the economic systems more than anything else, or at least having more control of the economics of your own systems. And the reality is the world is changing rapidly, and there's all types of things going on that I'm very excited about, digital currencies, etc. In the end, diversity is sanity. That's, that's my view. And when your financial advisor puts you into six different types of funds and says you have diversity, he's full of shit. You don't have diversity. You have one type of investment. You have a security paper investment and nothing else. It makes sense to truly diversify. This means being smart about the real estate that you own, even just the place you live in. It means being smart about the improvements you make to it. It means thinking of things like tools and improvements to your property as long-term assets, not just the stuff the IRS calls an asset. And it also means some good old-fashioned hard currency in your portfolio. That would be silver and gold. And I believed holding 5 to 10% of the value of your net worth in physical silver and gold that you can put your hands on makes sense. We'll go a little lower, fine. You want to go a little higher? Okay, I, so I can see why you would. But 
keeping that middle-of-the-road 5% number is kind of the baseline really makes a lot of sense. It's something you can work up to over time. If you're going to do that, you want to pay the best price you can for your silver and gold. The place I buy my silver and gold is JM Bullion. That's where I recommend you buy, too. And again, they'll give you a discount on orders over $300 and orders over $1,000. You'll get a discount if you... Uh, If you uh, use the discount code in the Member Support Brigade. If you're not a Member Support Brigade member, I mean, think about it. Discounts on Berkey's, discounts on long-term storage food, discounts on silver and gold. Can't be any more than that. Man, there is a ton of discounts. Herbal supplements, seeds, gardening products, trees, you name it. We've got discounts on everything from the tactical to the practical, gardens to guns, in the Member Support Brigade. Now's a great time to join. We're running a fall sale to celebrate the, uh, fall, the fall equinox, which happened on the 21st. Runs till October 1st, and uh, you can just use the discount code FALL14, F-A-L-L-1-4, as a discount code. Get your first year for $30. If you've expired, now would be a great time to come back. $30 is about as low as it goes ever on a sale of the MSB for a year. Um, the other thing is I do a discount for military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, first responders like EMTs, paramedics, and firefighters. Guys, if you're not a member yet and you're one of those professions, I would take the sale price. I would cancel auto-renew in PayPal once you do. And if you pay by check, it doesn't matter. And I would get the service discount next time because as good as the service discount is, this is a little bit better. Um, I try to be honest with you guys about everything, including sale price. We'll talk about that today a little bit when I talk about how you develop a business and actually make a business something that people want to do business with. Uh, but anyway, there you go on that. Remember that sale is in place. And we now will go to the year that was the episode of 1433, I have three great ones for you today. China's Starfleet's Last Voyage, Double Eagles for an Emperor, and Donatello's David. Did you know there's a Donatello's David, not just Michelangelo's David? Well, if you want to know about Donatello's David or Double Eagles for the Emperor, you'll have to read it yourself in the TSB Wiki. I'm going to read China, Starfleet's Last Voyage. China's Starfleet are returning from their seventh and final voyage of exploration. They have been as far as the Straits of Hormuz in today's Persian Gulf, and there is evidence that they have been as far as the Red Sea in East Africa. Admiral Chang Ho has done a magnificent job, but his usefulness to China is coming to a close. Inside bureaucratic fighting and fears over the growing power of the eunuchs who want the voyages expanded puts, puts, uh, puts paid to future voyages. Admiral Chang Ho died either During this last voyage, or shortly after we return to China, merchant ships will continue to sail lucrative routes. China's age of discovery ends here. My take by Alex Shrugged. This reminds me of the Apollo moonshots taken by the U.S. in the 60s and 70s. While it was an exciting venture at the time, the project bogged down when public and political attention turned toward the problems of poor and Vietnam War. People would say, we can send a man to the moon, so why can't we solve fill-in-the-blank? Generally, that problem was poverty. Yet after spending trillions of dollars on the war on poverty, we have po more poor than ever before, and we are not on the moon either. For an excellent study of USA poverty policy from the 50s to 1980, read Losing Ground by Charles Murray. It was required in reading during the Reagan administration. Um, here's my thought on this. Societies are great when they're willing to do great things. And when societies cease to be willing to do great things, they tend to go into a decline. You can almost see that decline beginning in the 70s, the split of the 80s and 90s, and a resume to this decline going right along with when we decided it was no longer really something incredible to send a man to the moon and what could we do next. Now, there's some reasons for that. One is 
that the reason we went to the moon was never to go to the moon. The reason we went to the moon was make the, comf the, the public comfortable with spending billions of dollars on developing missile technology. And if you can make a rocket take a man to the moon and bring him safely back to Earth, you can get really good about building missiles to blow up other people. And the biggest motivation in the space race was the development of weaponry and a misleading of the public, yet it inspired the public anyway. We talked about being a kid, and let me tell you, we weren't really going back to the moon, but I didn't know that when I was a kid. When I was a little kid, I'm going to bare my soul to you guys today a little bit. When I was a little kid, I mean little. I'm talking like seven, eight years old. I thought I was going to be an astronaut when I grew up. That's what I wanted to be. I dreamed of being an astronaut. My grandmother had this recliner. And I would drink Tang and then sit back in my recliner and think I was going on a spaceship to the moon. We talked yesterday about the millennials and the problems they face. And I wonder how many of them dreamed big dreams like that when they were seven years old. Or those that are headed towards seven, how many will? What great things are we doing in this country to inspire the next generation? And what decline might we see if we don't get on with doing something great? I personally think that government properly channeled can inspire a public to do great things. Usually it leads to war and death, though. I, I feel right now, very strongly, that we are making a tremendous mistake and spilling both, both guilty and innocent blood at the same time in the deserts of Syria. And it's being done in our name whether we want to or not. I don't know that that inspires a child to dream of growing up to be something really special. So if government's not to do it, I guess it falls to the people. So that's a transition for me into today's show. I want to talk about building businesses, and I think that If we're not going to have astronauts and people like that and explorers to look up to, then maybe what we need to have to look up to is the people that actually create businesses. And I always had people like that in my life, especially from the past that I looked up to. Henry Ford, for instance. I'll tell you a story about Henry Ford to kind of get into the right frame of mind for today's show about the intelligence and wisdom of somebody that really understands business. So when Ford came out with the Model T, uh, the floorboards of the car were made out of wood. So he, he was one of the, the pioneers of really understanding how to take an assembly line to the next level. He was also a real pioneer in understanding of you don't have to do everything uh, to build a product, that some things are better left to other people. You can specify how they get done, But you can have multiple companies bid to build a part of your final product and, and, and be more efficient that way. Because they take on the risk of machining up if your, your orders fall off, not you. Well, when he specified the motor and went out to bid for people, see, people actually built the motor other than at Ford's shop for the Model T. And he said, I want the motor to have all this displacement and so many cylinders, and it's going to run like this, and there's going to be a place to bolt it down like that. But he also said it has to be in a box. That box has to be made out of oak. That box has to be X by Y dimensions. And it has to have some holes in it. This is for our shipping. This was the justification for it. It has to have this. It has to be put together this way. And it has to be exact. So it wasn't just the specification on the motor, but the crate the motor came in. Now, of course, the people building the crate or putting the stuff in the crate would just build that into the price. But then you had multiple vendors bidding 
and just we'll do whatever he wants with the freaking wood. We want the engine contract, right? Then do the crate for cost. Well, lo and behold, when the crates would come in, they would take the crates apart. And the crates would be taken apart in a very specific way on the assembly line, and then the parts would be taken elsewhere, and they would end up becoming the floorboards in the car. See, that's that's not just innovation. That's smart thinking. That's function stacking. Now, that is the type of thing that can now be built with electronics, uh, or, or should I say ones and zeros in code. We can think of how to function stack performance features on a website that way. So if we're not going to have explorers at the national sense, the governmental sense for our children to look up to, maybe it makes sense that we start teaching them to look up to the true innovators in business, at least as part of what to look up to, part of what to dream of. And the best way to do that is model that behavior as far as I'm concerned. So I think that everybody out there listening to me today should have the entrepreneur mindset. And I think if you're going to be an employee, what I want to say flat out is everything I'm going to say from this point forward applies to you too, just maybe differently. You have to pick. So I'll give you the knowledge and you choose the way to apply it. Though I am going to speak mostly from the standpoint today of applying this to the development of your own business, your own business units, your own profit centers. But the employee, this is what every employee needs to understand. This is not bad to be an employee, but economic dependence as an employee leads to required acceptance of many things you do not want in your life. Trading time for dollars is what the labor force is based on. Yet the entire concept of labor, what you need to know, what you need, and again, I'm not saying it's bad, but this is, if you're going to be that, you need to know what business thinks of you. Business disdains you as labor. Labor is, is considered a, a, a necessary evil by business. Even business owners that treat their people very well and very fairly in the end don't really want any more labor than they absolutely have to have. Okay, The labor force is the biggest expense you'll have, and it's a massive source of frustration. Some of that has nothing to do with the, with the, the people themselves. Some has to do with government regulations. When the government starts telling me how much I have to pay you, how I have to insure you, uh, how I have to insure you medically, how I, you know, all the different things that I have to do to employ you versus letting you and I make that decision, you become a bigger problem. Okay, But as an employee, you're a problem. You get sick and you want time off. You want to take vacations. It's a pain in my ass that you want to take a vacation. It disrupts my product flow. right? Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't have a vacation. I'm just saying this is how business views you. And you, if you're going to be there, you better understand how you're viewed because then you can market around it when you're making a case for how great your value is or market to your strengths when you're making a case for your value so you can get a better job or an increase in pay or more freedom. Okay, Every business no matter how well they treat an employee, is always looking to improve efficiency. If you won't accept that they want to get rid of you, you probably will accept that businesses wish to be more efficient. Okay, And any business that's not trying to do that is probably not going to survive if there's any competition in the space whatsoever because its competition is striving for efficiency. Well, get this then. Every time I improve efficiency, I reduce my need for labor relative to my production. Okay? 
That's very simple. So I might, as I improve efficiency and get more orders and have more business, need to hire more people. But per unit produced or per task accomplished or whatever it is that I do as a business, as my efficiency goes up, my need for labor goes down. That means quite literally that business is and has been seeking to design out labor to the highest degree possible for a very long time. In other words, as a business owner, it is my obligation to the business itself to design out as much physical human labor as possible and massively improve efficiency at every opportunity to do a better job in delivering my product and service to the customer. Now, no politician will ever tell you that because it sounds like it's anti-job. Guess what? Business is anti-job. The entire economy is anti-job. So while we're told about job creation, the entire system is based on systemic job elimination. To be brutally honest with you, if I'm employing 500 people in a big company and somebody prevents, presents me with an improved efficiency that will work and let me lay off 10% or 50% of my workforce, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it every time. And why? Not just for increased profits, not just for increased efficiency, not just for less trouble to deal with, not for just less problems, because it will actually make the company better for everybody, including the 450 that remain. Why? What I'm going to do, if I'm smart, is I'm going to identify my 10% lowest performing workers, and I'm going to eliminate them. And I'm going to shuffle people around and move the other 450 into better places. And you know what? Those 450 might go, man, it sucks that Bob lost his job. But you know what they're really going to say? You know, Bob kind of sucked. Bob was always dragging ass. Bob did never kept up. Bob was always the reason we had to stay later, work longer, or work harder. Bob was the guy that never, you know, always took off extra days. Bob was the guy that was the first one out to do whatever. I'm going to get rid of the 10% that are lowest. And if you don't think that'll make the people that are there more happy, I just have a challenge for you. If you've worked in any kind of a company with any sizable workforce at all, you've known people, let's use an honest term, they're slugs. And they, the fact that they get away with being a slug while you work hard makes you miserable. And not necessarily should. Because honestly, if I get rid of the slug, I'm not necessarily going to pay you more. I'll pay you what you're worth. All right? I might pay you a little more if I get rid of enough slugs. Right? And I want really the best people and I want to retain them. But... It won't drastically, drastically change your life, but I do know as a manager that I can't let slugs get away with being slugs because it destroys the morale of everybody else. You got that? So there's nothing wrong with a job and being an employee. Just understand the, uh, this is the reality of your existence then. You are employed only because you are either necessary or perceived necessary. That alone should make people at least consider building a business or learning to at least market themselves more effectively. This is why the entrepreneur mindset is for everybody, because you are nothing but a tool to business. You are a necessary tool. I will only employ you as long as you are profitable and necessary. And the minute I actually can quantify that you're not necessary and not profitable, I will eliminate you from my workforce. So if that's the workforce you're in, then you at least better have the attitude of we're all self-employed, okay? There is no guaranteed paycheck, and you have to have, even if you're employed with benefits and a 401k and everything, you have to have an independent contractor mindset. So as you go forth and, and exist as an employee, I challenge you to take these principles today 
that I'm going to give to the people that want to actually create a business and apply them to your existence there. Because if you do not, if you do not, you are flat out an expendable commodity with no plan B. Now, you can have all the beans, bullets, and band-aids you want in your pantry, but if your career is subject to elimination and you have no plan B, you'll run out of them pretty quick and you'll still be in a modern world instead of fighting zombies. So this is as preparedness as it gets for both sides of the equation, the employee and the, the, the person that wants a business of their own. I also do want to warn you something. This is another one of the red pill, blue pill topics. If you actually latch on to the concept of business ownership, self-employment, entrepreneur mindset, it is like taking the pill that you can't untake, right? Once you've taken it and you start to take it in and you start to understand it, it's hard to be blissfully ignorant in your employment ever again. It doesn't mean you can't stay an employee, but you're going to be constantly seeking to improve your ability, your talent, and your value. And as you do it and you reach the pinnacle of what you can earn, no matter what you do, you're going to seek to change and shift so that you can earn more or learn more. And that's one of the big things. Don't take jobs, folks, especially you young millennials. Don't take them just for the paycheck. Take them for the knowledge. Two jobs pay equally. One's easy, one's challenging. Take the challenging one. One you can do in your sleep. One you're going to have to learn something new, even something you don't think you'll ever use. Take the one you don't think you'll ever use. The, the mind being forced to learn something new will, will lead you down multiple possibilities. Okay, So I'm warning you right now, the further you step down the path toward entrepreneurial thinking, the further you'll go down the path long term. You will not go backwards. And, and it, it can become a compulsion. And properly channeled, it's a great compulsion to have. I also want to say something else, too. you got to look at your motivations for wanting to own your own business. Business ownership is easy. You can set up a business tomorrow. You can do it as a sole proprietorship. You can do it as an LLC. You can do it as an corporation. You can do it however you want. You can set it up. You can print business cards. You can put president on them, right? founder, whatever you want. You can have a legitimate service available tomorrow or a legitimate product available tomorrow. You can go to a website like Alibaba, which is a, a, a site that connects you with manufacturers in China. You can pick four or five products. You can set up drop shipping arrangements. You can put up a website. You could be selling them. You could just be an Amazon affiliate, but you can make the site look be, and be independent. You can be in business tomorrow if you want to be. And you can go to mixers and meet other business owners and say you're the president or the founder or the VP of sales or whatever you want to call yourself. Business ownership is simple. Successful business development and successful business operation is hard. You're going to likely fail a bunch of times in the beginning. And you may fail and then try again and fail and try again. And you may fail and try again in the same business five or six times before you make that business successful. Or you may fail and say, you know what, I learned a bunch from this. This is not my path. I'm going to create a new type of business and do it again. You might fail at that. And it might be three or four times. So what? That's great. Especially if you're doing it as a part-time endeavor. It's great. And sometimes success is easy. I'm working with a guy right now that I know if he'll just do what I tell him to do, he will have a successful business by next year, and he'll make at least $50,000 in his first year if he'll just do it. 
Buzz, if that gives you any idea who I'm talking about out there. We just talked about this last week. Buzz, buzz, buzz. All right? That fast. Because everything's already in place. So part of the, the, the warning that business development and operation is hard is so that you won't be too fanciful and just jump in for the wrong reasons. Just because you want to be able to say, I'm my own boss and I own my own business. It's not enough motivation because you really don't know what you're doing. But a lot of you people out there have part-time businesses that can be converted to full-time businesses quite easily if you find a way to do it. And a lot of you out there have so much knowledge If you just assembled it properly into a part-time business, it could modify itself and morph into a full-time business very, very quickly. The, the, the problem is you're probably not going to get the assemblage exactly bang on the first time. And you'll probably have resources that you could be using that you forget about. It'd be just like having your house catch on fire. It's all confined to one room. Smoke alarm goes off. And what do you do? You hear the smoke alarm. You go outside and call the fire department while your house burns down. Well, sitting in the closet right next to where the small fire was, was a fire extinguisher, right? Since the fire was small, you could have used the extinguisher, but if you don't think about it, then that resource goes unutilized, the next thing you know, the house is on fire. So you, you, as you're building business, you have to really think about, what do I really have? Never mislead yourself saying shit like, well, everybody's going to want this. No, everybody's not going to want this. No one's going to say no to this product, or no one's going to say no to the service. Tons of people are going to say no to this product or service. The good news is if 1% say yes, if I have an inexpensive way to ask a thousand people to say yes, and 1% say yes, well, I just got 10 customers. And if those customers are valuable enough, I have the foundations of a business. So don't think a name, an idea, a concept, a product alone is going to make success. It takes marketing, business development, and smart operation and efficiency of the business. And again, you're likely to fail. So what? That's great. And again, today I'm talking about online businesses. But I, I have to actually define what that is. Most people, because of stupid marketing that tells you you're going to get rich in your underwear, think that an online business is a business that exists 100% online. It can be. But I would have an online business today if I was selling used tires, like my father did when I was a kid. And I could probably, if I wanted to dedicate myself to selling used tires out of one store, build a multi-six-figure tire store and primarily drive everything from online presence, online contact, virtual contacts. I'd have my customers that buy used tires being contacted about the time that I know that tire needs to be replaced. I'd come up with all kinds of loyalty programs and things like that. I wouldn't even sell new tires. I'd go into used tire business and I'd market myself that way. If you don't think you can make a lot of money doing that, I'm sorry you don't understand the used tire market. It's a huge market. And there's more profit selling a used tire than a new tire, just like there's more profit in selling a used car than a new car. So that's as physical one location as it gets, and I would still build an online business off of that. And it would probably lead to selling things to people that are a thousand miles away from me as well over time, like how to know when you need new tires. Okay, You think that's simple? It's really not. How to get the best deal on tires. What what to say when you're looking to buy tires? When when should you buy a used tire? When should you buy a new tire? I could build a whole course on this. I could probably market and sell to entire you know niches niches of, of demographics out there. I'm not saying to do that. What I'm just trying to make the point that no matter what it is, it's going to be an online business in this day and age. To to, to say that your business isn't going to be online today 
It's like saying, well, my business isn't going to have a phone. There's going to be no phone number for anybody to call. Well, you could, you can do it. You know, I mean, pretty much my dad does that, right? But he kills himself for a living, basically, is what he's doing. And I, he has a phone at the house, but I, I don't think really much, he has much contact with anybody on the phone over his business. It's all face-to-face, -face, you know, driving around and, and, and doing it. And uh, he's in the pallet business. But, uh, so you can do it, but it's it's hard. There's not really a good reason for it. So all businesses should be online. That's kind of what I want to make sure that you understand today. So if you were going to start a business, and let's say what you were going to do, let's say you live in a place where there's quite a bit of tourist activity, and there's a lot of trails, you know, mountain trails and stuff like that, and your business is going to be that you meet people and take them on walks and show them areas that all the tourists miss. Uh, an old cabin somewhere that's just a little bit off the trail that nobody knows about, or a pl certain plants that grow there and their medicinal value, whatever it was. Y your, your primary marketing force would be online. And you could develop an entire revenue stream from people that never came and hiked with you, which would make more people come and hike with you. And would allow you to sell to the people that already came and hiked with you other things. So no matter what your business is, today it needs to have that website and that social media presence to be efficient. And the website and the social media presence can do more for you than three employees easily. Easily. And they cost a few dollars a, a month to keep running and some time. They never complain. They never bitch. They never need a maternity leave. They never need nothing. And this is where I need to talk to people that are of the employee mindset a little bit. As soon as you start to think this way, you start to realize why your employer is not taking advantage of you because he's not paying you as much as you think you're worth. You start to understand that all these things that, that workers demand and workers expect and workers want from companies just can't all be given to them. There's a finite source of money. The problem with the employee mindset is the employee thinks this way. Companies have money. No. Companies have products and services that they deliver to customers that generate revenue, much of which is offset by expenses, including the employee. And what's left over is profit, and that's the money they have. And the minute anything goes wrong with that equation, companies begin to bleed money. So I can't give you everything that you want, and I can't pay you what you think you're worth. I can only pay you what you're worth to that system. And the further you go down this path, the more you start to realize how ridiculous statements like, we just need to raise the minimum wage and everything will be okay are. There's a million economic reasons that that's ridiculous. But in the end, everything just adjusts. And people lose jobs, people have less jobs. But in, in a business, it's not just going to give everybody a raise because you say to. Now, you'll mandate it with law. You'll make me make that my base wage if I'm, if I'm, if I'm even paying anybody minimum wage. People, people always say, like, with my entrepreneurial background and companies I've, I've run and owned, people like you just want to pay people as little as you possibly can. Well, actually, I do want to pay them as little as I possibly can. You're, you're, you're absolutely bang on, fundamentally right that I want to pay an employee as little as I can. To get the best work out of them so I can, I can get the best return on my investment and my employees and investment. But I'll tell you the truth. Other than one person who serves as an intern, and I don't mean my recent intern here at the house. I mean an intern in a, a, a fairly large business. And that internship, we decided instead of making it an unpaid internship to pay that person minimum wage. I have never employed a person for minimum wage ever. 
ever in my existence have I ever employed anybody for minimum wage. I've never had anybody working for me at minimum wage ever. Ever. Because as soon as you move up to any level of wanting better than the bottom, you're going to pay more. I'll tell you another secret. I, who have worked jobs since I was 14 when I got my first job, have never worked for minimum wage. I've worked for slightly above minimum wage. I've been uh, dirt poor, as they say, but I never took a job for minimum wage. I simply refused. And I'd say, well, they'd say, well, that's minimum wage. That's what we pay everybody that starts here. Okay, well, that's not what you're going to pay me. Well, then you're not going to work here. Okay, I'll go work somewhere else. And usually that results on, hold on a minute, we could do a little better. Know this, employees. You'll never have more negotiating power over your salary than the day they hire you. That's the time to negotiate for the most. The next time you might have close to equal power is when you really have found something else. You've really become valuable to the employer, and you've made a decision to leave, and they're trying to retain you. And then you'll find out what you were really worth to them. And usually you'll find out it's not enough to keep you there. But sometimes sometimes that happens. And it, it happens when the employee makes a very professional exit. I'm sorry, I have an opportunity that I have to pursue. I've enjoyed working here. It's been great. I appreciate all that you've done for me. But the opportunity is such that I cannot turn it down. And if the and that way the employee because if you just say if you don't give me more money I'm out of here they're going to tell you to go even if they were willing to okay and I'll tell you why because the next time you have an opportunity I know you're just going to take that one and you're going to keep doing this it's like an extortion going on right but if I really believe you're only doing it because the opportunity is such that you have to I'm going to crunch the numbers and go this is the best I can do I'd like you to stay this is the best I can do. And I might ask you for a concession with that. I might say, listen, if, if, if you decide that works and you want to stay here, I want, I want a man-to-man agreement, a handshake. I'm not going to enforce it with a contract. You're going to stay at least a year at that and, and give this new opportunity I'm giving you a shot and not just take the next. But you might get the – that's the only two times you're going to get that kind of leverage. About the only other time you get something similar to that as an employee is if, I, if you're in a big enough organization where a promotion is offered and you, and you might decline it. Sometimes when they want you to take a different job and you go, I don't really think I want to take that path through this organization, and then they might come out with a lot of incentives to get you to do it if they really need you to do it and they think you're, you're worthy of it. Otherwise, get it going in or you're screwed. And everything that you think about employers being unfair, companies being unfair, rich people being greedy, as soon as you start trying to run a business of your own, you actually pay the bills, You actually reap what you sow and then have someone else take it from you in the form of taxes. Okay? All of that shit will go out the window. And you'll realize it's all bullshit and it's all part of the dichotomy. And it's all part of how you're manipulated and controlled. Because they can't have employers and employees getting along and understanding each other. That would be a wonderful, juicy class division that you're not utilizing in a neo-fascist state. can't have that. Right? So please understand that if you're going to stay in the employee world. As you're thinking about marketing yourself... You need to understand product marketing. Okay, So if you want your own business, you need this to understand about your product or service you're offering. And if you want to be an employee, you need to understand how this applies to you. I'm going to tell you something now that if you've never heard it before in any of my podcasting, it's going to be hard for you to believe. There are only two types of products, no more. Okay, 
And right now, people are going, that's crap. There's plastic products and metal products and automotive products and electronic products and digital products and food products and agricultural products and pet products and furniture. And I'm looking around the house right now, you know, fishing reels. That's a different type of product. There's guns. That's a totally different product line. There's millions of products. No, from a standpoint of selling and marketing, You can take every product and you can put it into one of two categories or explain how it fits into both. And you, no matter what, and this is what you have to start understanding, to run a business on concepts, you have to be ruthless. Because when you're ruthless, you get down to numbers like two, or the next one I'm going to give you that you're not going to believe at first, three. And when you get down to two or three, and you're clear that that really is the truth, then making a plan to market and sell becomes dramatically simple and you don't get sidetracked into a bunch of meaningless bullshit about, well, long term, this company could do a hundred things. Don't give a shit. What are you going to do today? And the way you get there is this ruthless simplicity. And the ruthless simplicity in this one, every product from a reason that people will buy it can be taken down into they need it or they want it. And there is nothing else. You tell me any product you've ever bought and I will make a justification to you that you needed it, you wanted it, or both. And that's it. And there's no other reason. You, you, you never bought a product you didn't need and didn't want on purpose. You may have found out later that you really didn't want it and you really didn't need it. But at the time you made the purchase, you either believed you needed it or believed you wanted it. Buyer's remorse does not change this. So if there's a product out there that supposedly will improve the fuel efficiency of my car, I believe that, so I buy it. I bought it because I wanted it. Okay? Period. Does it work? Doesn't change the motivation for the purchase. Got it? Wanted and needed. So you have to look at the entire market of whatever thing you're going to do and say, am I selling to the want or the need? Most people would say sell to the need. Never sell to the need. Use the need to close the sale. Sell to the want. Because people buy expensive snowboards in the middle of a recession at the same time they're cutting back on their use of electricity. Do you get that? People cut... Needs first. If a person loses a job, what is the first thing they start cutting? All the bills. And what are most of the bills? Needs. Electricity, gas, food. Yeah? When you sell to the need, you're competing with Procter and Gamble. You're competing with Amazon.com, size-wise. Amazon really sells mostly wants. But that you're, complete, you're competing with the gorilla when you sell to the need. You're selling food. You don't sell food. You sell organic or beyond organic pastured poultry. Now, you're not selling to a need anymore. The person has to buy food anyway. But the premium in the organic pastured poultry is the want. Small entrepreneurs that are smart figure out how to sell to desire. Desire creates customer loyalty that need can never create. Need is a commodity. Need is a price-based decision primarily. 
as soon as I move to quality, I'm moving at least part of it to desire. So I need a web server to run my business, okay? But I pay more for a quality one because I have to have a good user experience, okay? So the company selling to me, meeting my need, but selling to my desire, quality and affordability. Now, I, now that's why I do business with 100 terabytes for my dedicated servers because I get that from them. I get enough bandwidth without being socked in the pocket for it too hard, and yet I get a good quality box that does what they say it'll do. And if I need customer service, I get good customers. So I buy the desire even, even when it's on top of the need. So I'm not saying you can't go in the food business. I'm saying you don't go in the generic commodity-based food business. You find a niche. So you, if you, I know this is a challenge to people. The first thing you want to do when I tell you there's only two is try to find a third one to prove me wrong. Stop. Okay. It took me five years to get, when I started down this path, to get down to the, to either want or desire, you know, desire or need. I, I've, I've done it. Trust me. That's it. You can't find another reason you buy something. And even if you tell me, okay, I have a loophole. Sometimes my kids want stuff and they won't shut up and I don't want it and I don't need it and I know it's crap and I buy it anyway so they're shut up. So you bought it because you desired that they would shut up. You gave in so they'd be quiet. Huh? So you bought to the desire, not the need. Maybe sometimes you really need them to, to, to quiet down and it's worth a, a box of uh, chocolates or something to get them to do it. I don't know. But in the end, desire and need. Now, in spite of what I've just told you, there's actually three primary motivations as to why people buy. Just three. That's another number people want to challenge. Every product that you've ever bought that desire was least a component of it, okay, you bought it either because it was entertaining, it provided something to you that made you happy in some way. It was profitable to you to do so. Or it was life-changing. That's it. There is no more. If I go out and buy a video that teaches me how to do something, it's educational. So it could be entertainment profit or life-changing or educational, Jack. No, 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 no. That education is profitable to me. Either financially or because now I have a skill that I didn't have before. I bought it to gain the knowledge. That is a profit. Now, a financial profit is more concrete. But every product you buy either gives you something that you would consider a profit, you've attained something, you've been entertained, or somehow it changed your life for the better. If I go buy a gadget for my kitchen that actually works, that slices and dices better than anything that I ever have, it makes my life in my home better. It's altered my life. It hasn't rocked my world and made me, you know, some motivational speaker and, yeah, I'm, I'm smart, I'm wonderful, and everybody likes me, and now I'm going to have a great career. But it has changed my life for the better. Because now when I'm doing my cooking or whatever, it's easier, and I enjoy it more. So it's, and it, so it's given me that. The smart company tries to take a product or a service or a suite of products and services that provides those three together. If I can entertain you, make you feel like you've gained from the engagement, that's that's the very definition of profit, whether it's intellectually or financially or however, 
and I can make you feel like I've made your life better all at the same time, you're going to want to do business with me. And if I can financially profit you while entertaining you and changing your life for the better, let me tell you, you're really going to want to do business with me. And that's why the Member Support Brigade is successful here at Survival Podcast. If you're buying stuff in the self-sufficiency industry, it is financially profitable. I hope the show is entertaining, and I know based on your feedback that for some of you, at least, it's life-changing. So the suite of products is the MSB plus the podcast combined together. And all of the other sub-communities that have attached themselves to it and being part of that. That's the golden trifecta of marketing. When you can put those three things together, and, and often the product is all three. Or the service is all three. It's up to you to define it to the customer so they understand it if it's not immediately self-evident. That's effective marketing. You have to convince me as a prospective customer that I desire to do business with you or I desire what you're offering. And then you have to tell me how it will either entertain me, profit me, profit me or make my life better. And if you can do that effectively, and I have the financial capability to do business with you, I'm probably going to do business with you. And I'm going to probably be a loyal customer if you deliver on the promise. So your challenge when you say, well, what I want to do for a living is X, Y, and Z. How do you explain to your prospective customer why this is needed in their lives, or better, why they should want it in their lives, or how it sits on top of an existing need? So that the cost, so if you're buying something for me that costs more than what you're currently buying, but you have to buy the base anyway, and my product is only 20% more, then I only need to sell you on the 20% on the desire side. Okay? And then if I can explain to you how this will either make you happy and entertain you, or profit you through education or finance or money saving or whatever, and make your life better, you're going to buy. Is everybody you do that with going to buy? No, but enough will that you'll have plenty of customers to serve. The next thing you really want to do is you have to define the market in very simple terms. If you'll notice, I, I, I want you to continuously be ruthless with this. You have to be ruthless with not getting sidetracked, not changing course a hundred thousand times before you even, you know, it's like people that go out with a boat and They go to a spot, and you barely get the line in the water. Like, we should move. All right, fine, we'll move. We move the boat and find another good spot. And then you can't ever fish because they keep moving the boat around. you got to be ruthless in, in getting to the most simplistic components possible and building and following a system, and then it works. So the next one is you have to define your market in the, in the three most simple concepts that are possible. And this is what they are. Who are they? What do they want? How do they want it? That's it. There's no more. Who are they? You have to be specific here. Who is it that is your likely customer? Moms. Bullshit. Okay? Moms are not your likely customer. Whatever you're doing that you're selling to moms, there's probably a specific type of mom. If you're selling a, a product that helps her manage her time, then your, 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 then your who is busy moms. Okay, If you're selling a product that helps her uh, provide a better meal for her family, your, your, your market is moms who like to cook at home. 
And you figure out from there. But you have to be specific. Who are they? The next one, what do they want? You have to be very specific. Because even you have, well, I have my product, so they want my product. No, they want a product that does what? They want a product that provides what? Because you're tailoring the marketing of your product to this. This can be product development, but generally, you know what you want to do, right? So once you have a product and you're trying to market a product, you have to figure out what they want. And you have to be very specific. And the last one is how do they want it delivered? You have to be laser specific. And if you're not, you'll spend your time chasing your tail. Because sometimes the product defines the market and sometimes the market defines the product. It all depends. Once I made a choice with Survival Podcast to do an audio podcast, how do they want it became in audio format. Okay? I, 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 that's it. So, But some people like books. They buy books. I'm not selling to them. That's not my market. Okay? So in that case, the product defined the market. Who are they? People that are interested in self-sufficiency, self-reliance, independence, and liberty. And are tired of being lied to. That's who you are. Or you want to be listening to the show. And what do you want? A solution to the problems around you so that you can live a better life on your own terms. Okay? So, I developed that product. And I fine-tuned the podcast to meet those needs. As I learned more about you and you learned more about me over the years. That's how the product that is TSP was developed. But the decision to do it in audio was lifestyle-based. i got to get in my car every day. got to drive to work. i got 45 minutes to an hour. I can speak well. I have a lot to talk about. I don't have time to write. I don't like to write. I don't have time to jack around with video. I can learn to do audio editing in 15 minutes and be done, and that's good. I can work on the quality and get it up as I go. Done. It's an audio podcast. How am I going to put it out in a blog? So people that listen to podcasts are my main market for right now. And then I'll get those people to tell other people that don't even know what a podcast is. All you got to do is hear, go here, press buttons, and listen. So the product defined the how do you want it. And then I had to think, because this is what happened when I, when I, when I made that decision, started doing podcasts. Will you provide transcripts? There's actually a forum board now where people are doing transcripts because people want to do it. Well, that's fine. But my answer had to be no. Well, I'd rather read. Go somewhere you can read. Survival blog. James Rosley Walsh. Go read that. You know? Whatever you want to read. There's blogs out there. Tons of them. I don't do blog. I don't do writ written. Well, you have to have a, a script or something. No, I don't. What's published in the notes is what I do. Done. See, if I got sidetracked, oh, I got to do this because somebody wants it. No. So then marketing the show became very simple. My message and all my marketing push and pull was, if you want to hear how to live a better life, that's what I have. And I'm going to help you do that whether stuff gets really tough or even if stuff stays pretty good. doesn't matter. If you actually want more freedom, more liberty, more independence in your own individual life, and if you want to know the truth amidst all the bullshit that's out there, from my perspective, I'll tell you what I know. And I don't expect you to believe me. I expect you to take it, use it, harness it, question whatever you want in your own life, and make your own decisions. That's my product. But that all is who are you, what do you want, and how do you want it? So you, 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 can, you can push it either direction. 
So if I had determined that the best way to get to this audience was with a book, I could either write a book and understand that How Do They Want It is now in a book form, and I've chosen that because there's more people that want a book than a podcast, or I can say, I don't care that they want a book. But then I have to accept the fact that unless you have time to listen to a show, and if you're the kind of person that's inclined to listen to a show, that you're not my market. And as long as I'm clear, I can go either side of that fence. But I got to be clear. So I'm telling you, you can go to school for five years and get a master's in marketing. And you'll never learn anything more important than these three components. There's two types of products needed and desired. There's three primary reasons people buy and only three entertainment, profit, and life-changing. And we have to define that market and who they are, what they want, and how they want it delivered. And I don't care what you think you know about marketing. If you don't know that, you're not going to be as effective as you could be. And it's very difficult to actually build a company and market a company from the ground up without those things. You can learn all kinds of fancy freaking data analysis and direct marketing feedback and how to work with vendors and how to use print versus how to use digital and all this crap. And if you walk into somebody else's company that already has an existing system and you can bolt into that as an employee, yeah, you can do that. But you don't get to do that when you're an entrepreneur building your own company. The system must be built first. And then if you want to get bigger, you can start bolting people like that in. And you start to understand what I mean when I say employers view employees as tools. You may not like the way that makes you feel. Tough crap. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to tell you employers really care about their employees. They might. You're still a tool. I've had to fire people that were no longer useful for my company that I loved as people, but they were terrible employees. Or the business just didn't do well enough to continue to support them. When I get to a point where the business is supporting you versus you are supporting the business, I can only let that go on so long. It's not like I don't have any loyalty to an employee. Guy's been a good guy. He's worked for me for a long time. The company's taken a downturn. I'll do what I can, but I can only do it so long. I had a partner come to me one time in a business we were operating together in, and he said, I need you to take $30,000 out of your business unit. You do it however you like. And I had four people working for me. And what I could have done is taken $10,000 from each one of them. They were all paid low, but I wouldn't have put them under minimum wage, by the way, minimum wage hype people, you know, to, to do that. Uh, actually, if I would have had to take 10, I would have took like seven, seven and some change or something like that from four, right? Um, or I could, I could get in, put skin in the game, and we could all take a pay cut. And then I looked at it and said, all of these people work really hard. I think the situation is temporary. I don't want to lose any of them because I have a small staff because I've already pared it down to the people that are really necessary to what we're doing. So I walked in and told them all, I've been given a directive to cut salaries in this department by 30%. Everybody turned white. And I said, there's some real key objectives that we need to meet to change that. And I'm going to work really hard to help you guys get that changed. Because it's really important to me because I'm taking the $30,000 out of my own paycheck. I'm taking the full cut myself. You've never seen people look at a person that way before. Unless you've been in the military and you've seen a commander that people will follow in the battle. 
The loyalty gained by that was massive. Hard to explain to my wife. Yeah, I'm taking a $30,000 pay cut voluntarily. Why? <laughs> right? <laughs> hey, but you know what? 90 days later, I got my money back. I didn't lose anybody. And I had loyalty out of that crew. But they were still tools. And if the business hadn't recovered, I would have taken the weakest one and I would have let them go. And I would have adjusted the business accordingly. So it's not heartless. It just is what it is. And you just have to understand that. You really do. Or you're not going to be successful as a business owner either. Because you have to treat yourself that way in your business. If you, you build a business that has one, one employee you and you're paying yourself a salary out of it, and you come on hard times, you cut your salary. Or the business needs an investment. And you don't want to take outside dollars. You cut your salary to provide the investment. You have to treat yourself the same way you would treat an employee. But at least you get to make the decision about whether or not to do it or not. And you know why. The employees never really understand why. They really don't get it. Because we have a job mentality. Where we need a task-based contractor mentality at minimum to be a good employee. To be a great employee, I should say. My employees, when I used to have them, that had contractor mentalities... We're always the best. And they're always the ones that I was most risk of losing. Because the contractor mentality was, if I can really do better somewhere else, my affinity for working for Jack only goes so far. So I had to work hard to retain them too. That's a great relationship to have with an employee. Unfortunately, two out of a hundred are that type of employee. Two. And most of them are on a track to become entrepreneurs. That's why they're that type of employee. Um... I do want to talk about getting started and why just do what works. If you stick to that simple formula that I've given you today and you follow your passion and develop something, especially part-time where you don't need money, right? keep your job, earn a living, continue to learn for it, continue to do the best you can, and develop the market first, then you know, you'll find your way because you're not under pressure. But it takes a lot of dedication to work. So you've got to take the Nike philosophy and do it. And not do it once. Not put up a site and then six months later come back and go out and blog to people. Like, no, I haven't blogged in a long time, but I've been busy. I'd rather you not put anything up than that. That just tells me as a person that happens to find your blog by some miracle, since it's not active anyway, this guy doesn't give a shit. I really shouldn't subscribe or pay attention because there's nothing here. There's not going to be anything here tomorrow that wasn't here today. So I'm not going to bother. I might not notice the date six months old if you don't tell me and point it out to me. So just do it. Um, and remember this. This is the biggest thing that holds people back. What if I mess this up? What if I mess that up? What if I screw this up? In the beginning, when it comes to the web portion of your business, you put up a website and a blog or a podcast, nobody gives a shit. That's wonderful. No one's, your whole life is going to be spent from that day forward trying to make people care. So get your feet wet, ride with training wheels, fail, fail, fail again, screw it up, read it, look at it, pretend you're somebody other than you, realize how poorly it's done, make it better. It doesn't matter. No one cares. No one cares. No one cares. When I started this show, I had a shitty little recorder without even a microphone sitting in my lap. And the first show was like, <sighs> and, and there's people that came on iTunes, I'll never listen to this again. I don't care. They may have come back and not even known it. They don't even remember. You're not that important. Nobody cares until you do something meaningful. 
So don't let fear of failure hold you back because there is no failure. You have nothing. You tried. You still have nothing. You didn't fail. I spent money. Eight bucks on a server for a month? Shut up. Don't cry to me. I don't have time for that crap. That's tuition, buddy. Get going. Let's keep going. That's You have to have that attitude. And it works if you do it. Success comes with time if the work is done and the system's followed. If you follow the outline I gave you today, and you develop your own system and commit to, I'm going to work this many hours doing this, getting this done, developing this product, developing this market, I'm going to invest this much in marketing, I'm going to do this and do that, and as things work, continue to do them, and the ones that fail, you twist, alter, and, and manipulate, and adapt, improvise, and overcome those things, and keep working it, it works. It works. That doesn't mean you might fail a bunch of times. Before, before you get there. But you will always get there if you follow the system. It's like building a fire. If you follow the system of tinder and small sticks and kindling and, and bigger and airflow and all, you might have, even when it's a little bit damp out, you might try to light the fire 20 or 30 times, but you don't change the system. You keep altering it. Okay, the wind's a little bit heavy this way. I need to block this. But if you keep the basic system and tweak it, sooner or later you get a fire because it just works that way. That's how business development is. Success comes with time, though. I've talked to people that have a business up for six months on the web. It looks great. Somebody looking at it would think it must be successful. It just looks great. The way it runs, the way it operates, the perception, everything is good. And you're talking about, I, I just, I, it's not a success. Okay. Why not? Well, I finally launched uh, something that's actually a product for money, and I only made $1,000 this month. What? You made $1,000? In the first month of launching a product, that's awesome. People are like, well, I, I, this, I mean, I have so much work into this. Well, don't cry to me. Keep going. You know, or I, I'm only making a couple hundred bucks a month. Great. Most people never do that. You've come to a level that most people never attain. Now figure out how to go to another level. Let's, let's figure out how to make 400. Let's figure out how to make your car payment. Let's, 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 let's make this business, create a phantom tax deduction, and make your car payment. And then let's see what we can do next. And some people will blow right past that, but they'll almost never do it the first time. It looks like the first time to you because you didn't know what they did before. But plenty of people have failed a million times to succeed once. But only, people only ever pay attention to one success. The failures are where the lessons are at. Really, in this day and age, if it's a part-time endeavor, not I'm going to quit my job, set up, and go into a full-time thing, If you're going to develop something part-time, it's better to develop a market and get your market to develop your product. So if you have a passion around something, okay, and you start blogging, podcasting, making videos, writing books, whatever, as you create a following, as if you create a tribe effect, eventually the market will tell you what it wants, and you will develop products based on pull. Great way to develop products. And eventually you'll be able to analyze your market by asking who they are, what do they want, and how do they want it delivered, figuring out how to say how your product is entertaining, profitable, life-changing, or all three, and how that should be desired by that market. And you'll be able to also develop products to sell to them that they'll be happy to buy. But develop the market first. When I say develop the market, I don't mean the market for the product. I mean the people, the following. The fans. If you do that, they'll they'll want to do business with you. In fact, the longer you can hold out charging them for anything, the more they'll want to spend their money when you ask for it.
The longer you can give everything you have for free, and how long you can do that is subject to a lot of things, like do you need money, and how much you're spending in time and money to deliver it. But if you could do it for six months or a year, and then say to that market you developed, I'm not taking away anything from you, but I'm adding this, and I'd like you to do business with me. They will break their necks to do business with you because by then they don't want you to go away. And that can be modeled into any business. Whether it's how to walk a trail, buying a used tire, or teaching people to live a better life. doesn't matter. But above all, I suggest following your passion and here's why. There's been a lot of pushback on that because people have said things like follow your passion is the new believe it, you know, the new the new law of attraction, whatever. First of all, law of attraction is real. I've seen way too much evidence that the law of attraction is real to believe that it's not real. But let me explain to you how the law of attraction works. If you start saying to yourself, I am going to attract to myself an opportunity to take this part of my life to a new level, you are going to actually encounter the exact same opportunities that you would if you had not done so. But you will attune your mind and your being and your spirit to recognize them and capitalize on them. Which means you're going to walk past the same little thing sitting on a shelf that's an inspiration. But instead of walking right past it and not really seeing it, you're going to observe it. So the sending out the intention that is the law of attraction is it's not about attracting the it or the who. It's about attracting the ability to recognize it for what it is. And as soon as you start making smarter decisions, you find more opportunities. So in, a, in, a, in essence, it does start to work because the observation of something you would have walked right past that becomes an inspiration that leads to action changes the course you would have taken. And now you see something new you never would have seen before. And that is how the law of attraction works. It's not misty, mystic and spiritual. It's the way the human mind works. It's the way we work as beings. And it's true that the mind doesn't know the difference between positive and negative in that respect. If, you're, if your whole belief in life is, I want less debt, I want less debt, I want less debt, all the mind hears is debt, 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 and somehow you'll end up with more debt. But if you're thinking, I want more abundance, or I want more money, or I want more freedom, then the mind hears abundance, money, and freedom. And you end up with less debt. That's just how the law of attraction works. So the whole premise that, that follow your passion is the new law of attraction is made by people that don't understand the law of attraction. But it's also made by incredible hypocrites, including one that's one of my real heroes in business, Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban made a whole thing about this. Don't, don't, you don't follow your passion. There's plenty of things I'm passionate about. When it comes to business, you sell to the need, you sell to the want, you, know, you sell to the market, passion doesn't pay the bills, all this crap. This guy's a billionaire from following his passion. There's no other reason. That this guy's a billionaire. Mark Cuban made his money selling a company called Broadcast.com to Yahoo. Yahoo promptly ran it into the ground and wasted billions of dollars because they're idiots. It doesn't have anything to do with the value of what Mark built. What Mark built was actually one of the most innovative products ever built on the Internet. And it was really a way to let radio stations broadcast sports games across the Internet. And specifically, college basketball. Huh. Yeah. Why? Because Mark Cuban loves basketball more than anything else in the world. Not playing it, 
but the sport itself. He loves it. It's his passion. So one day he's driving around listening to college basketball in the Dallas-Fort Worth market, but he's a fan of the Indiana Pacers, which he can never hear in his car. And he thinks, what if there was a way to do that? What if I could listen to them when I don't have the time to watch them? And that concept concept became AudioNet, and AudioNet became Broadcast.com, and Mark Cuban sold Broadcast.com to Yahoo for $4 billion, and then did what? He bought the freaking Dallas Mavericks. And then this ass clown, who again is one of my heroes for his intelligence, has the audacity to come out and say, oh, you don't follow your passion, when he's a billionaire from following his. So if it can make somebody a billion, it might be able to make you a couple million. I'm just saying, properly applied. To be fair to people that say not to do this, what they're saying is, it's not enough. If you just follow your passion, but you don't follow the rules of business, and you don't address the market, and you don't deliver the right products and service, you're not going to have any money, and passion won't pay the bills. And they are absolutely correct. But you start with the passion. You develop a market with the passion. You apply the rules of business to it. And in this day and age where the Internet can let you reach millions of people, you only need 1% to share your passion and engage with you to become successful. So why the hell would you do something you hated? And I'm going to tell you this. This is the truth. Unless you're going to build a business, like somehow you've gotten capital or funding or something and you're in that big business mentality where you can pay yourself a salary for a year or whatever it is or you've saved up and you can go full-time into the business as a job that's different you can you can build a product that way that's just a product to you that's fine and it does work but if you're going to work at midnight after the kids go to bed if you're going to get up at 3 a.m because you have from three to six to do some things and that's the only time you have to do this If you're going to get in your car and do a podcast, whatever it is, if you don't love it, you ain't going to do it. So that brings the biggest objection I get from people. I have too many passions. Pick one and, 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 and anchor down, man. I have a very good friend I'm working with right now. That that's what he said to me. He said, but I have so many passions. I said, dude, you got to pick one. you got to pick one that you could actually see yourself engaged with every single day. And the funny thing is you'll be able to Trickle in your other passions. So, I love teaching. And I love teaching liberty, independence, and self-sufficiency. That's why I built this show. I also like to hunt. Occasionally, I can make hunting fit self-sufficiency. I love business. I really do. Proper business. Uninterfered with liberty-based, libertarian concept business. I don't love it for the sake of money. I love it for the sake of actually creating things. I've worked hard over the past six years, and I've actually helped several people establish businesses, some publicly, like MT Knives, and some you never heard of and you never will. And I hear from hundreds of people that say, because you said I did, and they have a business now. So I didn't directly, but I indirectly, and I love that. I love freedom for people. So I love business because it's a pathway to freedom. But I didn't decide to do a show all about business. I wanted to do something that was really my passion. It's not business that's my passion. It's liberty. It's liberty. The Survival Podcast could be called the Personal Liberty Podcast. 
Some people say it could be called the permaculture podcast. Well, I have a passion for permaculture, but I have a passion for permaculture because it leads to self-sufficiency, independence, and liberty. You see? So I picked one, and everything else will stick to it. Don't worry about how. Just pick one and get really good at it. And, and don't even worry about, well, a year from now, if I'm successful, I could add. I don't care. You don't have time for that shit. You got to get going now. That's how you build a business. I don't know how to make a web page. Oh, my God. There's plenty of places. If you just need a static website, there's plenty of people out there, Foursquare or whatever, that you could do it with. There's, there's, you, could, you could hire somebody to build a basic site for you. Learn how to use WordPress. Anything you want to do, go to YouTube. That's part of why I stopped doing the shows where I talked about that, like the Five Minutes with Jack shows, where like, here's how you install WordPress. Why should I do that? All you have to do is go to YouTube and go, how to install WordPress. Call your web host up and go, hey, can you guys install WordPress for me? No, we don't do that. Fine, I'm getting a new host. How do I add a picture? Go to YouTube. How to add a picture to WordPress. Oh, you know, why isn't this working? Why doesn't this work? You know, fill out the blanks. Every answer you ever wanted. You can go to school for four years, get a marketing degree that won't buy you shit, or you can spend the next four years developing a product, a service, a market, and the knowledge to go with it to create independence for yourself and make some money along the way and not be in debt at the end of it. It's up to you. Or you can build a really big business. I'll leak it again here. I'm about to launch something that's designed to be a huge Huge business. I am about to launch something to try to change the entire country. That's what I, that's this little thing I keep leaking that I'm going to be doing. This week I'll put out a little form on the site by the end of the week that you can fill out and you can you can um, you can see little bits of it as I release more and more to the public about what I'm doing. And and sometime in October. To early November, we'll put it out fully in public. And then, well, that's all I'm going to say for now. And you can do that if that's what you want to do. But there's multiple paths to get there. You can just be the person that builds businesses like that. Or, or you can develop individually and, and then develop social capital and use that to do other good things in the world. You know, my number one rule in business is this. Only do good. Only do good. That's my number one rule. That doesn't mean I won't be a dick sometimes. That doesn't mean I won't be an ass. It, won't be, it doesn't mean I won't fire a customer. But it comes down to what my company does and what I represent. It is only for good. Now, I decide what good is, as we all do. I'll be honest about that. But good to me is I never force anybody to do anything. Never use force. Never slander someone for personal gain. I, I have this, the same friend I'm talking about that has too many passions. Pick one, go, right? Wants to, the one who wants to follow takes him into a world where I know what he's going to do is just, just take the nuts out of everybody else in the space and say what they're doing wrong. I'm like, that's the one you can't do. That's the one you can't do. Cause you can't really build what you want to build. If you're going to build it on the concept that everybody's stupid but me. That's Homer Simpson thinking. And this guy's a smart entrepreneur, but yet that's where it gravitates toward. Everybody else is wrong. You can't think that way. This is why what I do is good. I want to help people. 
That's, that's, that's what I do. And I would tell you that any business can be that kind of business. Any business can have multiple forms of capital, social capital and cultural capital. Any business, even a one-man show, if you commit to it. You know, it makes me think of Google, and they say, do no evil. If you say that, I have a problem. I don't trust you. Sorry. Prism, just saying, as they feed all your information to the data centers in Utah right now while they say they're doing no evil, okay? I, I much prefer to give you this last golden rule about business, do only good things. That doesn't mean you're stupid. That doesn't mean you don't fire someone. It doesn't mean you don't cut something. It doesn't mean you pull you don't pull back when you need to. It doesn't mean you don't adjust. It doesn't mean you don't do things that sometimes people will look at and say, that's that's wrong. They don't know what you know. The employee you have to fire doesn't understand. I'll leave you with a final story here. One day there was a farmer, and he walked out and he had a big pile of brush along the border of his field, and in the one brush pile he noticed that a bird had begun to build a nest. And he reaches in and he pulls the nest out steps on it, smashes it to the ground. Of course, the bird's very upset and doesn't understand why this evil being has destroyed the beginnings of her nest. So the next day, the bird begins to build a nest again, and of course, the farmer comes back and rips the nest out. And in fact, the farmer has a young farmhand that's working for him, and he doesn't ask the farmer because he's afraid of him to, to, to upset him, but he sees this farmer doing this, and he wonders to himself, why are you being so mean why why can't this bird simply have a nest there this goes on for about a week and the bird finally goes off somewhere else and builds a nest up high in a tree and at the end of that month the farmer sets the brush pile on fire the bird didn't know that the brush pile would be set on fire the farmhand didn't know that the brush pile was to be set on fire. So both the bird and the farmhand believed that the farmer was being mean, nasty, dare I say evil. The farmer was doing something good. By the time the brush pile was to be set on fire, the bird would have had eggs and babies who would have been destroyed in the fire. So the farmer did what looked evil for the purpose of good. Many times in business, You have to do things that those around you will perceive as being negative or bad or wrong. They don't know what you know. It doesn't prevent you from only doing good. It doesn't mean you're always going to get it right. You will make mistakes, and you have to correct them publicly, might I add, if you really want loyalty from people. But that needs to be the goal only do good. The reason most people can't get into business is because they're convinced that you succeed in business through tricks, tips, and manipulation. You succeed in business by delivering products and services that people want to buy. You succeed in business by understanding one of the golden rules of business. People don't purchase problems. People purchase solutions. With that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't.
show it on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. 